You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here with your Murder Mystery World Tour on 2SER, and we are continuing our journey into interactive fiction with our second week on Jordan Mechner's The Last Express. We spoke a lot last week about the history behind this game, and uh, how I catastrophically failed, died in Vienna. Yeah, it took you a couple of tries to actually get through Vienna, which, look, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a difficult stretch of the game. Um, That's not it, how you made it sound when we were going through. You just sounded like I was a rank fool. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I'm trying to be kinder to you this week because you did, you did get to the end. You did figure everything out, and you almost fumbled your way through the final puzzle of the game without any of the hints that you're supposed to pick up Heck through yeah. the game as you go. Um, because the set, the big set piece of this game, the big like artifact that you're supposed to be tinkering with bit by bit as you kind of go through the game, is this egg, this golden egg that. Everyone on the train seems to want for one reason or another. And you read fairy tales about it. It's the firebird from Russian folklore. And there's this poem that like teaches you how to open it and how to mess around with it. And Flex, I don't think you even touched the egg. You, you got it. You like had it in your possession. You put it in a box somewhere and you just didn't think about it. You were like, forget it. That's Who right. That's what I do with all my problems. The egg. Yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> like you, you basically stumbled through the solution at the end, but you made it. That's the important thing. We made it all the way to Constantinople and saw the ending to this story, uh, which is explosively climactic. It is. uh, But also quite somber. Yeah. So essentially what happens is that uh, the arms deal goes ahead. The Serbian rebels get their guns on the train. Well, the arms deal doesn't technically go through. Um, The last time we see the German industrialist who's supposed to be selling those arms, he's like, what are you doing stealing my guns and also taking the gold with you? So the arms deal doesn't go through. But the Serbians do hijack the train with the guns. What, on it. what is an arms deal so, without a good bit of double crossing well, and lack of thing, payment? Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing, right? This is where this entire game comes from. So the, the kind of broad strokes of the plot is that the Serbians decide, well, now that uh, you know the guns haven't been taken off the train, we're going to take them by force because we don't trust this American, this German hold up there into the bargain. We suspect there might be an Austrian spy on the train, which there totally is. Uh, the love interest of the of the story, Anna Wolf, is a spy, and love and interest in sizable quotations. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that, <laughs> but it, it all it all leads to you getting chased uh, through through the Balkans, basically on the train line, and facing off with the Serbian terrorists because they're much more well armed and capable than you are. And you end up in Constantinople for one final showdown with Kronos, the guy who wants the egg. I guess it it ends with World War One kicking off. It is does. really how the story. Like, that's the note that it kind of ends on after you outwit Kronos and uncover the fact that the egg is, in fact, quite a dangerous thing to have yeah, with a person. Yeah, I think the overwhelming feeling that I got getting to the end of the story is that it felt extremely flat, but also that it wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, the very somber, there is no resolution feeling of the futility of war in the intro to World War One. Yeah, totally. I mean, the entire story is about, like, powerlessness and, like, because the situation you're put in is that you are hunted by the feds. You are assuming another person's identity. There's a bunch of deals going on that you don't understand what any of them mean and and how to figure things out. And you're in a really bad situation. But so are all the other characters on the train to different degrees, right? Like the the workers on the train are worried that their train line is going to get shut down. There's there's that that lesbian couple who are like, maybe we should just settle down with some boys because that's what's expected of us. Like the Serbians want to protect their country. There's an interview in the strategy guide that I'm holding in my in my hands right now that talks about how when 
uh, when Jordan Mechner and Tommy Pierce are like lead writers on the on the project, when they sat down to create the situations of the characters, they didn't want there to be a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and even though you could say that Cronus is the bad guy at the end because he's the one who like outwit, he just wants his egg. He's not trying to start World War One. He's like the only character who isn't trying to start World War One. This is something that Jordan Mechner and Tommy Pierce really like uh, put forward. They, it's it's about authenticity and it's about uh, sort of portraying the feeling of the world at the time. You know, there's so many characters who are in bad situations but are hoping for better, and then World War One comes around and just smashes all of those plans. Like Anna Wolf in the quotations romance in the story even says like. I would love to run away with you. And Cass says, you know, it's fine. What are the chances that the the Austria-Hungary royalty will have use of a spy in the next couple <laughs> of years? What are the chances of something crazy happening where yeah. spies would be incredibly useful? And then World War One happens anyway, right? I, I think the interesting thing is that no matter what the emotional thesis of the moment yeah. in The Last Express, there are so many very, very deliberately and cleverly written lines like that mm-hmm. where it is a not subtle hint towards what the story is about but at the same time it doesn't feel like it's whacking no. you over the face it's with not, it it's not ham-fisted there are newspaper articles and one of the best conversations that i don't think i've ever seen the whole conversation of but it's a conversation between george abbott who is a british spy oh yeah and august schmidt who's a german industrialist who as i've mentioned has all those guns on the train mm-hmm. which are going to start world war one if it hadn't already been set in motion yeah those two characters they have a conversation together that you're not a part of they talk about europe moving forward and they basically have this this like idolized picture in their head of oh well europe is moving into this properly industrialized age with the train the silver train that runs along all of europe this is a way for us to unite and like see this future where both germany and britain can like work together and da 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 and we know because we live in you know the 21st century that none of what they're saying is going to come to pass yeah but there's so many conversations like that that just feel like two normal people Talk about a dream that will never be. Yeah, it was really interesting because I was rereading uh, Rebecca Stafford's The Imitator, who we spoke with a few a uh, few weeks ago on the show. Yeah, uh, and it was really interesting hearing that discussion in parallel with this because there's very similar ideals, I guess, that were going into both world wars of the possibility of unity, but also yeah. the sheer mounting circumstance that never could let that be. Um, I think the other thing that was really great about Abbott this time is one of the best conversations <laughs> in the entire game is when you sit oh, down yeah. with him talking about how you've stopped Alexi and how his plans have been put aside because you found the clock that he was going to use to make an explosive to blow up the train. Yep. And then Abbott asks you, did you find the dynamite? Yeah. And Kaz says, what dynamite? And the train blows up. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments in the entire game because- like the lead into that scene is that you you find Alexi dead because a supernatural dream tells you that he's being killed by Count Oblensky, yep. which is a whole other side of the plot that we need to get into. But like you you know that Alexi is being killed. So you go and you see him and he's like, the clock, and then he dies. But he, he comes up to Kath and says, let's go have a drink. And it's a total trap because yeah. you can hear, even during that conversation, a ticking sound. And so Alexi saying the clock is a reference to the fact that he's he's taken the clock from the smoking car, which is where George Abbott tells you to have a drink with him, and he's made a new timer. It's one of my favorite little puzzles in the game, the way that it all comes together. 
And when you're actually like trying to figure out where the bomb is, you can hear the ticking getting louder and softer depending on how close you are. And in that scene where the train blows up, you can see which car is getting detonated. Like there's so many little details. And that's really the biggest praise I yeah. can give to this, this well, game. Right? The other thing that's really nice about that particular yeah. sequence is that all of the things that it does are just a natural part of yes. the story. It's yes. not like they're being incredibly clever and saying, ah, we'll use this camera angle to show you where the bomb no. is. So you could- no, no, they just- they blow up the correct car, yeah. and if you're paying attention, the details are there. Together. Be accurate to what is happening in the story and trust that the audience will follow it. Yeah, the game doesn't use a lot of storytelling tricks, I suppose. Nothing that seems out of place, at least. There are a couple of things that I think are particularly noteworthy, like the diary entries. There's a difference between um, whether Kath uh, and the trip from, uh, from Munich to Vienna is taken off the train by himself or if he's taken off the train with the Serbian terrorists, because yeah. obviously if the Serbians aren't on the train, they can't hijack it. And the diary entry that you get as like an epilogue to those two stories is slightly different. The other thing that's really fun there is that because a lot of the diary entries are intentionally vague, yeah. it motivates you to keep trying to find more of them mm-hmm. and piece together which one is which. For example, when you get taken off the train, it says something along the lines of the worst was yet to come. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, we still don't necessarily know whether that means the bomb, the hijacking, or both. Yeah, it's all kind of... Like, there are a lot of things in the game that are deliberately vague and a lot of conversations that don't line up one-to-one. And I think that that, it it still feels cohesive as a story, but that lack of, like, one plus one equals two in the way the conversation is laid out and the way that you can kind of gather clues, I think lends itself well to the kind of storytelling. Like, I mean, that's obvious. Just if you play the game, Critters is the weirdest character on the train. But, like, he is a character who is sort of portrayed as being both a man of means, but also it's sort of implicated that he has some supernatural powers um, sort of as you move through the story. That also is supported by the weird supernatural dreams that your character has uh, that are implied to be shared with Anna Wolf, the yeah. other like main character on the train. They have like dreams where they see each other in a tower and uh, it's again just- And an that's like a reference that, to an amulet or a necklace that- uh, It's a ring. Ring, uh, that's Robert, right. Robert Kath has a ring on his finger uh, that Anna Wolf believes is a family crest. Yeah. And Kronos, in one of the bad endings, which we actually got on, on the stream that we did, uh, one of the bad endings, Kronos says that when you go to Jerusalem, Kath, you should ask about the 13th tribe, which yes. is a reference to the 12 tribes of, uh, of, of the Hebrew of the Hebrew people. And I gather that was going to be the follow-up game to The Last that, Express that we never got. That's the that's the expectation, yeah. The, the, the next game will be set in Jerusalem. Yeah, like that's the last thing I want to kind of leave you with for, for my, my thoughts on like why this is fantastic. It just, there's so much attention to detail and everything fits together perfectly. Yeah. Except for the parts that don't. We'll Except talk about that. that we'll, park, we'll talk a bit more about our negative feelings, I think, next part, but like, go play it. All right. Go play it. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. We are discussing Jordan Mechner's The Last Express, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds, and today on our murder mystery show, we are joined by veteran actor and hairstylist Mr. Karl Heinz Tuba, known for making their debut appearance as a, a flamboyant wig salesman in Armadeus more than 35 years ago. He endeared himself to us as a star of The Last Express as Herr August Schmidt. 
Carl, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. I, <laughs> I'm so happy that you found me after uh, after so many years, you know, here, and I'm sitting here in San Francisco, and later on I can show you with my camera, I can uh, show you America, I can show you the fabulous Golden Gate Bridge, I have a fabulous view in my apartment. That'll huh? be excellent. I'm looking forward to it, honestly. So, Carl, you've come to us, as you say, after so long, after 35 years of acting, uh, parts big and small. Uh, but I want to know what you remember most fondly from the days of filming your German industrialist character and, I would say, sweetheart, August Schmidt. Sweetheart. <laughs> Sounds good. August Schmidt uh, was hired, uh, with my German accent, as you know, uh, to be an uh, loves the Kaiser and placed a weapon dealer. It is on the last express. You probably did some research already how they did the last express. And they found this old car, photographed this all. Uh, and, and later on, we filmed everything in front of a green screen. So, but going back to good old August Schmidt, you have seen my photo. Yeah, we have, we have. And we will have that picture up at Flex and Herds on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you want to check it out yourself. They made me very fat looking at the makeup and things like this took quite a while, and then you have seen the photo, and then later on, they animated everything. And I had fun with this. I remember so many things. They picked me up and brought me back on this on big warehouse. I think we filmed it there. You know, there was a big screen, and there, there were such seats where you could sit on. You you remember my little dance scene I have in there? <laughs> the best scene in the, in the show, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. and this little dance scene, they said something on the set, uh, this was very funny. Uh, yeah, you have to dance together now. And I said, okay, fine. Yeah, uh, music, music. And I said, I remember something. My father always liked to sing. Ach, Mutter, Max, dear Max, dear Max, hat beide wie wachs, wie wachs, wie wachs. Daddy, that, that I don't know the text anymore. And I just think, da, 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 da. And I did not know where the music came from. I just remembered this thing. And later on, I saw it was done in seven different languages. Different people spoke my my, my character, my part, and, and, and sang it in Russian and in Japanese and in God knows what. <laughs> this was amazing for me to see. Well, I've seen on your YouTube channel, you've actually compiled all of the scenes from The Last Express with, with August Schmidt involved. Um, and you, as we know, you play this oblivious and and sometimes even charmless man uh, <laughs> whose best moments for, for the player, you know, on the computer, they're often found off the beaten path. Um, and in the game, our detective is only able to actually uh, see the final confrontation with Schmidt, the, maybe the, some of the best scenes you did, if they find all of the clues and put everything together uh, before the grand finale. How, how do you feel, Carl, about the idea that some people who played the game maybe not have seen your best moments in the story. They may not even have seen the dance scene. Bad for them, good for me. Many people have seen it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen on your YouTube channel, uh, I've looked through some of, the, some of the videos and I've noticed that some people respond in the comments saying, oh, that's, that's Herr Schmidt, I recognize them. Do you, I don't know, I guess, how do you feel about that? The idea that even after so many years, people still recognize you from that part, from so long ago. This is a nice feeling. It's a flattering feeling, you know. But this is a job you did, a creative job. And 
for a moment, for weeks, months, days, you just go in this zone in there. Suddenly, it's, it goes so automatically for me. Now, I have to ask you, since then, you've been in, you know, countless other pictures, um, and a lot of them seem to revolve around death and murder and such. You, you're such a an energetic, lively, fun person. Why are you drawn to these roles that are so often involved with murder? Why is that something you're drawn to? I'm a character actor, and I play uh, men and women and good guys and bad guys. And what else do I play? Everything, you know? Yeah. Drama and comedy, whatever it is, yeah. It's just happened. It is, was for 35 years a great experience. Now I'm 84 and I am uh, just doing hair at home to my clients and stopped the whole uh, acting thing. What was your process for getting into character? Did it just happen on a dime or did you have a particular ritual that you used for each character to help get into that performance? Yes, yeah, good question. Uh, when I get a script, you know, I read the script many times through and and then the character, whatever it is, how to play this, you know, go and do research on, on the computer about this character. If this is a fictional character, I put my own, my own feeling into it and hope this will be the best, you know. If the director says, no, I want to have it more this way or this way, sure, you follow the director, you know. So, uh, but it comes so automatically for me deep inside. It is just there, you know, it's like it has to really come from the deep inside from you that like there's a painter, they like to paint, musician, they want to sing, you know, and all creative people want to do it. This comes from the deep inside. Thank you very much for joining us, Carl. This has been Carl uh, Heinz Tuba, prestigious actor, hairstylist and ageless spirit of Europe. Uh, you're listening to Death of the Reader. Thank you for joining us, Carl. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. I never did this before, uh, an interview on Skype in, in Australia, you know. <laughs> and it was our pleasure, Carl. If you want to see those pictures we mentioned earlier, they will be up, as I said, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Flex and Herds. We are discussing The Last Express by Jordan Mechner, which starred Carl Hayden's tuba right there. And we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. We are discussing Jordan Mechner's The Last Express from surviving Vienna through to the end of the game. And it's time to talk about the puzzles and uh, what we enjoyed, disliked, the the actual structure of the mystery and what it put together. We were talking a lot in the earlier part about kind of the themes of industrialization Mm -hmm. and the way that underlies the story in the lead into World War One. And I think we'll kind of wrap up today talking a little bit about some symbolism and how that ties those themes together. But the thing I wanted to get into right up front is the nitty gritty, the mystery, the puzzles, the technical bits of it. So as I mentioned last week on the show and on the streams that we've been doing, uh, I've played a lot of like Ram, Mist and other, you know, point and click adventure games of this era Mm -hmm. uh, to train myself to be ready for The Last Express. And the thing that was really interesting to me about The Last Express and the way that it did its mechanical puzzles, especially the bomb, Mm -hmm. is that it gave you a puzzle that you had to kind of trial and error, Mm -hmm. but also 
there was a fail state for trialing, which was really interesting to me. Because when I look at, for example, Mist, Lesser Rem, one of one of the things that's interesting with those puzzle designs is that if there is a switch, mm. you pull it. That's that's just one of the things that happens in yeah, those games. Just to see what it does. Yeah. yeah. And normally in those games, once you've pulled it, uh, it will either be very clear when you have to disengage it or you won't have to disengage it at all. So for example, uh, one of the standard examples in a lot of those games is that you have to turn the power on. That's a standard thing that has to be done and you just turn a switch and presumably the power is on and you either can't undo it or you won't have to for the entire rest of the game. Mm. But when we get to things like the bomb, uh, when we get to things like going in and outside of the train cars, there's a lot of stuff where uh, because it has these adventure game dead ends, bad ends, you're kind of punished for trial and error but at the same time the punishment is designed to be enjoyable in a way yeah well that's the thing about the bomb puzzle isn't it that you if you pull it you know to the equivalent of pulling a switch or pushing a dial yeah you just die um and i i think in my mind there are really only two puzzles that i i don't particularly like um, the bomb puzzle is one just because you Spe- die. Specifically the mechanical part of the bomb yes. puzzle, the lead up, as we the were saying, finding, last part. Finding the bomb is great. The moment where, because when you find the bomb, it does a little musical sting. It's like, duh, like you found the bomb. Good luck solving it, nerd. Disarming the bomb is not super fun. Um, the other puzzle that it's not a big deal because you don't even have to do it, but there's a bug you have to catch on a yeah. table and it's literally just, you click on the matchbox and you click on the bug and that's the puzzle. Like, yeah. You did it. But apart from that, the puzzles are generally pretty good because they're they're focused on like figuring out the characters and what they want and need, yeah. um, which is a much more nuanced way of doing puzzles, especially for the year when this game was actually produced. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that was interesting to me was that I suffered a lot with some of the simpler puzzles, like yeah. figuring how to get in and out of people's rooms. Because as yeah. I mentioned, I mean, th- the big one, the big one was actually when you were trying to figure out how to get out of Cronus's room with the bag of gold. Yeah. Um, cause what you have to do is just walk through the main room of Cronus's yeah, like, there's, a, there's a concert going on. Yeah. Everyone is there. You are meant to take the gold and, and walk, walk out, out in full view of everyone. Yeah. The reasoning is that it's the masquerade. If yeah. Cronus like says something like, Hey, what are you doing with my bag of gold there? Uh, the, the jig is up. The jig him. is up. The masquerade is gone and Cronus's mystique, which he works so hard to cultivate would be gone. But when we played through that section, Basically, what happened is that you had entered Kronos' Sanctum technically, like, just after the concert is supposed to end. Yeah. So somebody kept coming in being like, oh, the concert's ended, yeah. so we and I thought play that the was, scripts where you get yeah, caught. I thought that was punishment for me clicking on the door, so I avoided doing it for a good, like, 10 minutes. It was a bit of a mess. Um, um, and, and it's kind of interesting. And, I mean, a lot of adventure games like this have issues like this where it'll give you a clue, you'll misinterpret it, and then you'll just be stuck there until you do something that you thought was obviously wrong. And those moments are really frustrating. That's inherent. Sure in the genre and i think mm-hmm. that the last express does better than a few of the ones that i've played uh but it still doesn't miss it's not perfect the failure. um like the rewind mechanic as as i've always said yeah. is like the best way of mitigating this because in most puzzle games like this you'd be like i'm gonna save the game and then i'm gonna run over the other side yeah. of the island, then i'm gonna try this thing and then i'm gonna run over here and pull these levers but yeah. with the last express the game always knows how far you can go back in order to salvage your situation. Yeah, but, but then when we get into talking about the the social puzzles, like yep. the idea of the masquerade, like the Kronos' role in the story, yep. it gets so much more interesting. And I think yep. that yep. 
you know, it makes me torn because on the one hand, I would love to play through this game and figure it out for myself and get the whole way through. But on the other hand, because of how clearly it played to my weaknesses, yep. I would have had a horrible time I, if I was you hadn't wondering. been kind of there with me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I will say just, we haven't mentioned this yet. You're, you're getting your point for this week because you did you. like solve the murder. But in my mind, like when I played this, I don't want to talk about my own experience because I, I'm pretty sure the first yeah. time I played this, I did it with the guide or at least using bits of the guide because I just had it. Yeah. Um, but when I played it through with my, my good friend of the show, Mr. Fallon, he- did not even consider that the firebird was a living, breathing automaton. Yeah. Um, but as I mentioned, like the second that he picked up the the egg, he was like, let me see if I can do something with it. And the second that you heard about the firebird, you were like, oh, that's like the thing that killed Tyler Whitney. Then. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what did it. Whereas when we got to the end of the game with my boy Fallon, he was like, what? The thing comes to life and attacks people? It's crazy. <laughs> but that's the thing. You guys have uh, completely different strengths and weaknesses. The first thing he tried was grabbing the gold, walking out through the masquerade. Yeah. He figured that out like instantly. And, and that's just how different people approach these games. And in a sense, that's the beauty of, of video games, right? Totally, totally. So. Um, and, and I think it's also, if you go back and you do play games like this, if you go, do play classic adventure games, The Last Express, Myst, Rem, um, I don't know why those are the only three that come to mind because I've been playing a bunch of them. But <laughs> I don't know. The Myst and Rem are the ones that scratch a particular itch for me where sure. I just have time to like poke and prod at things without much of a plot getting in the way. It's a lot of environmental storytelling. Yeah. But either way, if you go back and play a lot of these games, it's really good to play through with friends because the diversity of approach that you will have in tackling them will mm. make it so much more engaging than just staring at the brick wall that is your own misunderstanding. There are some interesting notes in the, in the guide I have here between... The- there was a, an interview conducted by a Rick Barber uh, with Tommy Pierce and, and Jordan Mechner that sort of, he sort of asked them about the influences uh, on the, on the game. Yeah. And the influences are fairly obvious and you can find, you know, all the different influences fairly easily. But what I think is interesting is reading uh, first off Barber asked like, where did you go to for inspiration for the story? And Magnus says, we stole from everything, which is just yes, fantastic. Yes, good artists copy great yeah. artists steal. But the, the interesting note to me is that Pierce says that she uh, she reads stuff like uh, Russian fairy tales and Irish poetry and the stories of Rebecca West. Like There's a book of Irish poetry from the era of the Troubles on well, the bookshelf to your left there. She's hoods. probably read it. Mm-hmm. Um, autobiographies of philosophers. This is Tommy Pierce's influence. Yeah. But then Jordan Mechner is like Casablanca, spy novels, European comic books. Like this, this story I think does so well because it has those two sides yeah. to it. It has the very human action focused political intrigue, World War One side, but then it also has the Firebird and yeah. Kronos and the supernatural stuff. Well, I think that's one of the best parts of storytelling, and both collaborative storytelling and mm. individuals with like a variety of tastes, is that you're able to pull the, the volume of your interests into one product. A lot of the time it comes down to these executions. So that's mm. why I think it's so useful for Robert Kath to have these kind of spiritual dream sequence mm-hmm. moments yeah. because it ties in the spiritual side of the story with the in- investigative spycraft side. It's it's why when you come to the ending and you have the big reveal that the firebird is not just a fancy gold egg, it's not just a mechanical bird creature that can sing. It also has a living beating heart 
encased within its mechanical automaton form, mm-hmm. that moment of tying together the intensely human heart with the ephemeral spiritual fairy tale firebird and like the cold hard casing of a of a creature of steel, like all of those elements coming together in that form is like the perfect place to leave the story. Yeah, especially you know? with the kind of you know thoughts of industrialization Absolutely. and the people yeah. chewed up by That's- it. Uh, one thing that is kind of interesting, I'm, I'm looking at the, the interview again at the end of the strategy guide here. Metner is talking about the idea of clues yeah. uh, in the story uh, about Chekhov's gun, like the Chekhov's gun rule, right? That if somebody mentions their birthday in an adventure game, it's going to be the combination to a safe. And if there's a gun, it has to go off. Uh, Metner basically just outlines that when they sat down to make the last express, they deliberately wanted to break that rule, make it so that most details in the game that you come across that you think might be Clues are not clues. They're just part of people's lives. Um, and Mechner believes, uh, at least according to this interview here, maybe his opinion has changed, that it's actually not that hard to beat the game. To figure out the literal steps you need to take to finish the game, there's not that many of them. They're not that hard to do. I would agree. But it is the stuff that happens in between those decisions, the conversations and the snooping and the finding of stuff that that doesn't need to be found, uh, that's what like makes the game sing i completely agree i think also the thing that's worth noting there is that you could argue that he didn't really check off his gun it but what they did in writing this that was very effective was making it that the things that aren't Chekhov's guns towards the core of the game are still worthy details in their own sure. you still feel like experiencing them is worthwhile to yep. you and it all adds that feeling of it being a living breathing train yeah uh, which is where we come all the way back to the to the beginning of our discussion. Not even in this episode, not even last episode, but back when we talked about Last Express, when we were doing, we were chatting about LA Noir mm. eight years years ago. Um, where like the way that this this story approaches murder mystery is it makes it a confined space and puts as much detail into that space as it possibly can yeah. fit to make it authentic. Alrighty. Well, thank you for joining us here on Death of the Reader. This has been Jordan Mechner's The Last Express, and I hope you uh, get the chance to experience it or go watch us experience it up online, and I'll have links on the podcast. Next week, Herds, you, sir, Uh are going to be playing through the return of the Obra Dinn Uh by Lucas Pope. We're going to be going all the way through to the end once with the explicit expectation that you will fail. (laughs) What if I don't, though? What if I just get everything right? What if I win? Let's reread The Floating Admiral. Oh, what a great book. (laughs) That that sounds like a good reward for being good at video games. Anyway, Oberdin next week. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Death of the Reader here on 2SER 107.3.